Welcome to Campfire Conversations, coming to you from the shores of Lake Michigan in beautiful Arcadia, Michigan, with your host, Ryan Tonetti, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church here in Arcadia, Michigan, and co-host, Chit May, executive director of Camp Arcadia. We get together to have the kind of conversations you have around the campfire with friends. It is so easy in our busy lives to forget what really matters, the campfire. The campfire is a place where we make space to talk about things that count and to remember that we've been made for more. So grab a seat and join us around the campfire. Welcome to Campfire Conversations. I am your co-host, Chip May, Executive Director of Camp Arcadia. I'm joined with my other co-host. <laughs> other is redundant, I guess. We in still that. haven't figured this out. Yeah, co-host, Ryan Tanetti, yes. who is the uh, senior pastor. Executive pastor. Executive pastor. Of direction and leadership. The only pastor okay. at Trinity <laughs> Lutheran Church in Arcadia. We are joined by our good friend, Pastor Ron Glusingkamp who has been a pastor all across the United States, St. Louis, Kansas City, Wichita, Denver, Arizona, Chicago, and Minneapolis. Minneapolis. I keep Wichita. Okay. Yeah. Well, I said Wichita. It's, it sounds like a country song, doesn't it? I feel like there's a Johnny Cash song in here. Well, Glenn Campbell, Wichita Lineman. Wichita, that's yeah. what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. Deep cuts with the country. That's our that's our new our next podcast. I yeah. was the only Lutheran in Wichita. Oh, there we go. Yes. Anyways, uh, Ron also served with the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America uh, on their pension board, and then most recently in charge of their big capital campaign where you raised... Well, our goal was to raise $200 million for really key initiatives of the church, but we raised a quarter of a billion. That's with a B. Mm, impressive. Mine, and um, that was because of the generosity and God's blessings. Um, for the sort of ministries we have. And that, the next spirit of and that one trip to the casino. That really, <laughs> you put it all on the black. Yeah, yeah, five yeah. million on they black. Half that amount, and they put it there all on the 15 and 17. <laughs> and it, you got to put your chips up. <laughs> so, just briefly, what were some of the initiatives that you. That, that, that well, the big component was our response to um, poverty in, in, in the sense of how we respond with uh, world hunger and also to. Um, malaria and then seminary scholarships leadership, uh, international women leaders and then new starts across the country um, so it was really you know following Jesus' example to you know plant and to grow and um, build the kingdom of God awesome we're also joined with our good friend Peter Mayer, Yo. who is a musician and has uh, um, been working with Jimmy Buffett, him and his brother, uh, with uh, Jimmy Buffett and the Coral Reefers for, you said, 30? I think it's 33 years, amazingly wow. enough. We, wow. we joined up in, yeah, 89, the year my son was born. So that's wow. my kids have just known the touring dad life. So, uh, But it's I am really lucky to be with Jim out there. It's wonderful to have my brother aboard and have that company and... Uh, I was in a band called PM, which uh, included Roger Guth, the drummer, and Jimmy hired Roger, Jim, and I in mass as his rhythm section. So hmm. we've gotten to continue to play together and to be close as we were. So wow, it's awesome. been an amazing gig. And you also do your own uh, music as well. Yeah, Chip, that's been one of the unexpected blessings. I mean, I, I, can we be honest at Campfire Talks? Yes, it, it is. Okay. That's okay. why it's we're around the campfire. So exactly. for the first couple of years, it was quite a shift from Lutheran missionary family to uh, growing up with rock and roll and then joining Jimmy Buffett all of a sudden. It was like, wow, we're, you know, 
Where, where did this go? Uh, so I was always looking for that exit, like where am I supposed to move on from here? But after about four or five years, I found that a lot of people that were listening to Buffett really enjoyed our own music as well. And the second amazing blessing about it was Jim is, Jimmy's an amazing person, and I got a lot of days off. Jimmy's got a really humane touring section uh, schedule, so it's like three, uh, three days a week on and four days off. So I was writing songs that ended up on Stirring Up the Water or Romeo's Garage or some of my other albums. Very so, similar mm-hmm. to a pastor's schedule. He <laughs> has to work three times yeah, as hard well, as we do. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> now that's that's still being away from home. So there was that stress, but really, it's been uh, been a blessing to be able to send my kids through college and to have that steadiness while I could take risks on my own for yeah. my music. So, well, Jimmy, if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> no, he's a big listener yeah, podcast. Big, 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 big but um, so I was I was thinking the other day. I've been to one Jimmy Buffett concert. It was 1991. And so you were probably there. Yeah. It was at the old Pine Knob in the mm-hmm. Detroit area outdoor. It's a Pine Knob again. It is. I, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And I had, you know, I'd heard of maybe Cheeseburger in Paradise, but I never wasn't that familiar with it. I mean, I'm 18, 19 years old. Yeah. Got invited to this concert and um, with a now LCMS pastor, Mark Schrittenberg, and his oh. wife Shane. Anyways, and I was blown away. Had no idea. <laughs> you walk through. It's another culture. I mean, they're all the yeah. all the paraphernalia mm-hmm. and the fins and the parrots and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. it was like a religious experience for for, for these it folks, really you know. Is, yeah. uh, but they're going to the church of Buffett. It's really great. <laughs> and you know the amazing part about that story, Chip, is that his career was actually. He tells us that it was actually uh, fading a bit. The the audience sizes were going down, and all of a sudden, Cincinnati started wearing parrot costumes and really? making it a thing like this is our party we're just going to gather around this music and all of a sudden it's just 20,000 people and hmm. just amazing wow, wow that's awesome so um, so if you could tell us a little bit Peter about your background it's kind of fascinating I know the, the the thumbnail sketch of it you know you were grew up in India the country and I know there's a state like that. <laughs> Indiana. Indiana, Indiana yeah. right? Yeah. Indiana, but son of a missionary, one of eight, the youngest of eight children, mm-hmm. right? Uh, not the youngest, but third. 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 Yeah. Okay. All right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my parents went over there very young, at I think 23 and 24 years old. Sammy, my mother, Selma, and my father, Jim. And uh, they spent 16 weeks in elementary school, had a baby girl, my oldest sister, Marie, and then proceeded to spend 17 years there, had seven more kids, uh, so kept busy in all realms. And, um, <laughs> but really amazing to hear about that courage and what they were willing to take on um, for the gospel, for their, their life's calling and stuff. Um, and sometimes even more amazing to me, the transitions they made coming to America in the 60s, where you got... You know, free love, and you have uh, Beatles, and you've got rock and roll bursting open, and all the changes that we were going through, and then transitioning into that, and raising a family of ten total mm-hmm. people. You know, mm-hmm. really amazing courage. But that start in India uh, gave me a a brilliant start away from technology because uh, it was, India was always ten years behind America. No TV, just British radio. Um, plenty of time to walk the compound we live on and listen to music, tons of uh, phonograph records and stuff. And I'm really thankful for that kind of silence that I grew up in. And, right. and without the uh, 
you know, the glitter uh, that America was getting, you know, always technologically so advanced from us. So. Were your own musical influences, were you influenced from the East as well as from yeah, the West? Sure. Yeah, and, and those of you who have heard our, our Christmas albums can hear that. Mm. Um, we do a version of, of The Father's Love Begotten, mm. you know, that is kind of uh, really Carnatic music influenced. Um, not that I can pretend to play that, but it's very modal sounding. Yes, so the rhythms also really influence that. And um, Indians, too, were a lot of their spirituality is tied up in their dancing as well, so it's a very mm. bodily. It's a, mu a music of movement and rhythm, which I really took on. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And then again, you know, I was in that LCMS or Indian Evangelical Lutheran Church every Sunday singing gospel hymns mm. and stuff. So it was that strange juxtaposition of hearing these Indians with their beautiful wailing voices mm. singing Lutheran hymns. You know, mm. it was a, uh, it was in German, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we had a. <laughs> Multicultural experience. So, and the Beatles were a big influence on you, right? Well, yeah. When uh, I was five or six, my parents brought home a phonograph record player for us kids, and we and a bunch of forty fives that they probably randomly picked out at the at the store in India, and uh, they were the first uh, first Beatles songs, and I just freaked out. You know, it's just like this is what I want to do, and uh, that that kind of set the course for me. But being a spacehead, you know, as a person, you know, a shy kid and all. I wasn't quite sure how you did that, and I want to send uh, kudos to my brother Jim for kind of guiding me in that direction. He was the organization, like Ron is, he, he's got this organizational great, like, hey, to get there, we need to get these these things together. Maybe, maybe that's a pastor pastor's gift, or what's expected also of you. But Jim kind of said, hey, dude, you, you got to work, you got to practice, you got to study music if you want to do anything with this. And so... Uh, it worked out handy to have him right beside me, and we encouraged hmm. each other. Hmm. Yeah. So, what was the first Beatles song that you re that you oh. remember? Last night I said these words to my girl. I know you'd never read inside, girl. Paul can sing high. But I heard that song, and man, it's just like your hips start moving, and it was just a beautiful thing. And then when I got to the States and went to college and studied music, you start figuring out how they did that stuff, and that led, led me into my own songwriting mm -hmm. and all that. And my mother used to say, why, why don't you write songs for the church? You know, she saw us practicing the Jimi Hendrix stuff and all and I was like mom you know that's not cool like George Harrison's cool and Jimi Hendrix and and sure enough Indian Brendan came along and I, I went to Gethsemane and um, mm -hmm. Ron made those weekly or monthly requests for a song and I thought <laughs> well okay because the church the faith you know Jesus and and the gracious God never leaves it's always there that's this is what I believe and we drift and we come into presence and then we drift again and um, having a family brought me close to that need and search for that spiritual depth and hunger again you know mm. and mm. Uh, plus Ron's leadership seeing your kids baptized that is just uh, like Chip you were talking about losing your father all of that draws us in once again to our own experience you know our mm. own baptism our own familial connection you know in the Lord mm. So, Ron, what was that like meeting 
this guy. I mean, they get, so you're you're a church in St. Louis, more downtown, right? Yeah, or, it was it was uh, in the city, in yes. the city, and you got this rocker there, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. gold mine here. I got this. This is gonna be awesome. Man. I get well, free tickets and. and uh, well, you know, I uh, I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So my Detroit connection here is that, and I had I grew up in a family of five kids and two parents and and a grandma who lived with us. Hmm. You know, whose husband was uh, a Missouri Synod pastor, and he had died right before I was born. Hmm. And um, my grandmother kind of put <clears throat> that mantle on me. You know, that I was supposed to do. Hmm. But my job on Saturday was to polish everyone's shoes. Our Sunday church shoes because we were going to go to church and so I was in the basement I had all the shoes lined up on the steps you know and I had a little transistor radio and the radio station that I could get really clear on Saturday night was CKLW Detroit and they were playing these songs from Motown and it was I was like what is this? These were like secret messages yeah. <laughs> from outer space Amazing. coming to me. So I've always loved, you know, rock and roll and jazz and soul and, and all that, you know. So when I saw Pete and I was like, wow, you know, I just want to talk to this guy, right, right. you know, and find out, well, what, you know, what's going on. And then we became friends and we yeah. did different, you know, projects together and everything. Yeah. Are you musical yourself? Well, yeah, I played, I, I took piano lessons until I was in eighth grade, mm-hmm. and um, but then I decided that I was going to be a six foot five center in the NBA, mm. and focused my attention. <laughs> you had the six five part now. Yeah, right? on, yeah. On, you know, going on that. So, um, I can play a little bit, um, but not so much, you know. Mm. You have a good voice, though. I have, a, I have a, I have, you know, I have a, a face for a radio, so uh, I do have a good voice. Yeah, yeah. it's very good voice, very good voice. So, um, so um, uh, Pete, some of the songs that that that, that you worked with this past week. So, this uh, let me go back. Your topic this week is really about the Psalms and song and its role in our life. And talk to us about your the uh, Walter. Brueggemann stuff sure. on, on, the, on the Psalms. Well, this being the 100th anniversary of Camp Arcadia and also uh, another, you know, sacred institution here in the area, the Cherry Hut, their 100th anniversary. <laughs> that, uh, this episode brought to you by the Cherry Hut. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, we yeah. would like some pie right <laughs> now. So, was thinking about Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, for the, you know, the passage in Ephesians 5 verse 19 and not only the songs that have gotten camped this far but then what are the songs for the next hundred years as well mm. and and I really believe that uh, obviously the songs we have those on the hard drive of our souls and there's 150 um, songs in the Bible that are in the book of Psalms and then there's about another 36 songs scattered throughout the Bible so um, I thought it would be kind of good to look at that original songbook. Walter Brueggemann kind of builds upon the work. I'm going to get real academic here, so if you guys want to fast forward this or something. But really, you know, takes the work of Herman Gunkel, who was the first one to kind of take a look at the Psalms and categorize them and all that. And then um, Mo Winkle did some more about kind of the cult of the Psalms in the temple in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And then Klaus Westermann talked about critical source hypothesis about psalms and, and everything like that. But Brigham says there's really three types of psalms. There are psalms of orientation, 
Psalm 1, Psalm 8, what is man that thou art mindful of him and how wonderful the heavens are. Um, Psalms of disorientation, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 137, by the waters of Babylon. Mm -hmm. And then there are Psalms then of reorientation, and the two most familiar for us would be Psalm 23, um, the Lord is my shepherd, or Psalm 46, Mm -hmm. um, you know, which Luther used that as his basis for a, a mighty fortress. And great passage in there be still and know Hmm. that I am God so really coming out of COVID and everything we wanted to provide people access to this great songbook that we have in our uh, our fingertips but sometimes perhaps seems unapproachable Hmm. from 3000 years ago Mm -hmm. or maybe we need to dust it off or maybe because Mm -hmm. some of the language doesn't always connect with this at the same time then Peter's songs, I just see psalm fragments Hmm. all over his songs. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I tell him that, he says, well, I'm glad you think so, but I I didn't really consciously know that, but it's unconsciously, but he's a son of the church. Yeah. Right. And so those are are there. So that's what we've been doing, and... um, I really think that's... I don't mean to interrupt, but I think that's the beauty of the church, that I'll be, again, honest here, that during my teen years, early 20s, I, I wrestled with. Yeah. It was just like, yeah. well, that sounds like old stuff. I, I'm, I'm interested in what comes next. And uh, But what it really had done is all that language, and deeper than the language, what has been planted in before we can speak, mm-hmm. had been re- reminded in me. It, yeah. had, it, it had been yeah. planted in me to resurface yeah. again. So, so that's what I think we're yeah. hearing when we hear that. Well, and I think this week is kind of a subversive week because I really believe that faith is not only taught, but it is caught. Mm-hmm. And so as we're looking at these psalms, but then hearing these cool songs sung by Peter, that it's addressing all those things that maybe we're not always ready or willing to address, but we want to. Our hearts, you know, we okay. have hungry hearts mm-hmm. to want to do that. That's a very good point. I love how Ron put that because there's that hunger, but for some reason we don't want to reach for um, to be to, to somehow have it be transformed or satisfied. Because why? Because I think it involves pain yeah. as well, um, facing some of our humanity. Uh, for me, it was loss as I grow grew older. You know more loss as you grow older. You lose your grandparents, and then all of a sudden you, you lose a girlfriend, or you. Um, and uh, I think that's why we resist. And this is one thing I love about Arcadia here, is um, sure there's a lot of this is how we do things here, but I really feel like if I cornered anyone here so far and told them, hey, I really need to talk to someone, do you, you got a minute? They'd be with me all afternoon. I really feel that openness to mm-hmm. to express uh, ex- express who we really are. So. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you feel like with music you're able to express things that you're not able to in other avenues? Does it open up? Doesn't open up your heart? Doesn't open up your soul um, in a way that you know when you're if you were just to write out if you were to write an essay say it, it might not mm-hmm. be able to tap into the same thing. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think it does, and the, the, you know the most wonderful sermon writers and the poets have music in their pieces mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. um, in their delivery you guys are great at what you do and I expect to hear music when you preach mm-hmm. to me or to anybody mm-hmm. um, you may not use uh, pitches or notes sure. or stuff but that's what I try to capture is and I really believe all of that is just inviting in uh, the creator inviting mm-hmm. the creator to to buoy you 
to carry you on the water uh, rather than saying, I have the truth here, listen to me. Mm-hmm. It's more like, uh, I'm a beacon of that truth, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, I, I think, Pastor, that I, um, well, I, I believe that when you sing, someone told me this yesterday, that there's certain parts of your brain that open up. Sure, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also I use a lot of laughter or humor or whatever, and I think that that is somewhat yeah, disarming sure. that you're willing yeah. to... Um, you know, do that. But I, through 41 years of being a pastor, I've never heard anyone walk out of church whistling a sermon. <laughs> so it is the song, yeah. right? You know, it's the yeah. tunes. And, and you know, everywhere we go, there's music. Right. And so, you know, the commercials all have great songs in it. So, yeah. so I mean, marketers, everyone knows that's kind of the way to our hearts and our minds. Well, it's, it's true. And it's something that I was kind of reflecting on and wrestling uh, with uh, during COVID, where in, in some states uh, it was even outlawed singing, right? right. And it was said, oh, yeah. oh, oh you know, gosh. for religious folks, like this, this is just something that's, um, it's not essential to your faith. It's just a more kind of window dressing. Right. It's a nice thing to have. You need to kill time for an hour, and so you throw some music in there. And uh, it's just emphatically not the case. Singing really is part and parcel of our faith, not least because, as you alluded to already, Ron, I mean, it's, it's right there in the scriptures. Like, this is, you want to be filled with the Spirit? You need to be singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. It's not just a, an optional add-on to the life of faith. It's really right at the core of who we are as believers. Yeah, and I, I think, too, you know, several times in the scriptures, it, there is the invitation, sing to the Lord a new song. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's old songs that, you know, are the oldies and goldies, and we've been doing a lot of those this week, too, and they speak to us in so many mm-hmm. ways. But but then also, you know, what are the new songs? Uh, I always, you know, think about, well, what are the tunes that are on people's, you know, personal devices? Mm-hmm. And um, And then somehow, then, why can't we use kind of those same melodies or tunes? That's what Luther did. That's That's what really kicked off a lot of the Reformation, you know, because he took those folk tunes. And, you know, Grundtvig and others in the Lutheran tradition have been able to do that, too. Mm-hmm. Peter, um, you've got some uh, amazing songs that talk about your relationship with your uh, father, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, t- tell me more about your, kind of your inspiration to write songs about that, because they're, they're kind of more vulnerable songs, you're kind of transparent about your relationship with your father, which was good, but also had its difficulties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like I mentioned before, I was a shy kid, and my parents left us a really treasured gift early on from India, and in that they wrote weekly to my grandparents in America, so we have letters from their 17 years, every year, it's amazing, so you can look up your birth and see, <laughs> so my dad says this about me, as I was a kid, Peter is a fat, healthy little baby, but none too smart. <laughs> so that wow. was that was kind of like so that's okay, the first line. So, yeah, that's <laughs> Peter, Peter was good sounding lyric. Text. I can start with that. <laughs> but um, so shy kid for for whatever reason, you know, we all have our reasons for why we're this way or that. Um, my dad called me down every Saturday to help him work on the car, and I think he was truly cons- concerned about me. But I was a kid who gravitated more to my mother's open arms and mm. singing voice. My mother read to us, she sang to us. My father was boisterous. He walked through the house, he yelled more times than I would have liked him to yell. Um, sometimes kind of radically yelled, especially as I got older, 
and didn't always do things in pleasing ways. So I had that rub with him. Here's so songs chip in a way came to to heal some of that for me it was a way of healing because i lost him very young at 59. Wow. so for anybody out there who who lost their parent young i'm convinced that we continue to get to know them as we grow older and we have that chance to share in their legacy and here's one thing i wish wish i had caught a hold of that i want to pass on to you out there is that i think my father truly loved me and wanted something wonderful for me and his fear that I would not reach out to that was why he treated me the way he did or why he jarred me sometimes with his yelling voice. He was so afraid that he would lose his kids to some distracted, broken, uh, moving too fast world. Hmm. And I wish I had had that compassion to see that. But you have to grow old to get some of that compassion, I think, mm-hmm. and look back. So that's what—that's where these songs came from. They're—they're they're kind of messages even to my father to say, Dad. One instance I did with him. He came in the back door. We were rehearsing in the band downstairs. There's a synthesizer there. He sat down and tried to play some Bach, and it was—you know—synthesizer has a different touch than a piano, and it sounded awful. And I was just like, Oh, Dad, you know. He goes, Oh, this thing is, is junk. This thing, and I said, Dad, it's the hands. It's not the synthesizer. Oh. And he looked at me and just walked upstairs silently. And I was just, and my friends looked at me and said, God, Peter, you're so you're cruel, man. Why did you say that to me? And I was just like, sorry about that. But, you know, nowadays I would have gone up to him and said, dude, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Right. I said that. Uh, but there is that distance between us. So these songs are an, are an attempt to to come close again, you know, and to, to say I love you. And uh mm-hmm. And I carry you within me. You're you're part of my bloodline and my and, and the legacy we have laid down and God's love, you know. So pick one of those songs. What, what's, yeah. What's that coming? So um, well, there's there's one called Harmony. That that really is a, is a little story. Happens to be uh, the the name taken from Harmony, Minnesota, but it didn't take place there. But it's a little story of Christmas in a little town and the father and the son in that town have an, an outer, say, say an external view that the family's just fine. When inside the family there's all this just rancor going on and they're not close at all. So this is, uh, I'll play a little bit of harmony. So father and son deal. Um, let's see. Choir sings in harmony. Shoppers hurry by and make a choice. Main Street wears the same Christmas every year. Carolers repeat the sound and joy. Just an hour to close in time, George's market. Up chocolate and a beer. Says, Fine man, ask, how's your boy been? When he hasn't heard a thing from him this year. Hear the children singing, Peace on earth. Must they close their eyes to see? Well, you can dream of home. Christmas It's a long way back to harmony 
split day's dry least he found Chicago It took years to shake the small town from his shoes He thinks of home, then he thinks again And sees his old man shake his head and disapprove Singing peace on earth Must have scattered family Or you can dream of home for Christmas But it's a long way back to harmony It doesn't really matter If it's yours or if it's mine it's the same amount of distance taken one step at a time. Three more years, a choir sings in harmony. The old man and the market passed away But his son's still coming home To talk to him To wrestle out a thing to He could never say Hear the children say And peace on earth To this gathered family But it's now all you try to be But you welcome home It's a long way home But you welcome home in harmony La 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 Thank you Peter That was wonderful um, Make me cry in the podcast over here But uh <laughs> It's like if I hear a cat in the cradle one more time. You know, like, <laughs> well, you know, the yeah. line is in there, you know, Chip, is it doesn't really matter if it's yours or if it's mine. Mm -hmm. It's the same amount of distance taken one step at a time. I mean, and I, I think there is that point where you can do, whenever you're shamed, you blame. Mm -hmm. So if you can get beyond that and just acknowledge, okay, that there is a separation, there is a divide here, the assignation of guilt or whatever we don't necessarily really need to do and you know in another song you know, you know still in one piece Peter sings that we are blessed and we are broken and and to me I, I guess what is always inspirational about these tunes is that this is real life well and Ron that's, I love it that you say blessed and broken because to me I always thought of it as a kid as well we're blessed and broken we're trying to be all blessed like the broken is the bad part we're trying to get rid of it. but I think God made us to be blessed and broken and I, I think that that's how you said it today that's how bread is shared we don't share the bread we don't have community and family unless we're both broken and blessed and, and, and I think too the, the blessed and broken you know for Lutherans is just simply used as a piccata I mean at the same time Satan sinner mm -hmm. and, and put together there so it's amazing how much is baked into the relationships we have with our, yeah, it's a baker, <laughs> baked in with our, you know, with our fathers or our mothers, mm -hmm. just that parent-child relationship is such a, like a, 
uh, it's our primary relationship we have, and I think it's how we deal with our faith with God as well. I mean, people talk about God as being a father or even mm-hmm. a, a mother, and, and uh, when 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 my dad passed away, that maybe reflect on that more and thinking, you know. Uh, how wonderful my dad was, how imperfect he was, mm-hmm. you know, and then how imperfect I am in that. And what does it mean to have a loving father as a God mm-hmm. is uh, almost outside my reach, mm-hmm. you know, but m- music has a way of yeah. kind of helping us deal with that, I guess. You know, I was going to a therapist at one time and he was a faithful person, you know, and he said, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace, you know. And he said, you know, sometimes, Ron, you know, when you tell your stories, you know, I'm I'm mindful of the fact that sometimes your dad's face didn't shine upon you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I think about, okay, as a father and as a grandfather now, you know, that's really my job, you know, to shine my face and to be present Mm -hmm. and, and to encourage, you know, and, and to do that. So I think that connects to what you were talking about as God is father or God is mother, you know, if we, mm-hmm. you know, that to look upon you yes. with that grace mm-hmm. and favor and shine. Right. Mm-hmm. And children and then, want to be seen. And just yeah, to, to and then we seen. reflect that. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, what, what always hit me early on in my faith life is uh, trying to figure what to believe. Like this I must believe. And always like, well, what does that mean? Am I believing now? But as it has transitioned into more beloved, you are God's beloved. It means something very different to that relationship. We're both Mm. involved in this mystery together. And um, it it kind of sets me free to know that, you know, and that it's my beloved family. Mm. Is it going to be perfect? No, not at all. But I would do anything. I'd die for them. I would do anything for that family because... Uh, they're the ones who taught me what true love is, you know. So it's been pointed out that uh, it's at Jesus's baptism, at the outset of his ministry, before he does anything miraculous or stupendous or otherwise noteworthy, you know. Uh, besides, perhaps as his visit to the temple as a boy, but there at his baptism, the Father speaks that word over him: "This is my beloved Son," and it just kind of underscores the fact that. Um, that belovedness is apart from anything that we are doing or offering. It's mm-hmm. it's given freely, and that's kind of the bedrock of our identity, that everything else has to flow from that sense that the Father's face has shined on yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And in the time of COVID, when we can't place our hand on our brother's or mm-hmm. sister's mm-hmm. shoulder and say, you are, you are my beloved or whatever, mm-hmm. um, it, it makes it that much harder, but it's by the rivers of Babylon. You know, we're in a strange land, and we're, mm-hmm. we're being called again to to have that faith mm-hmm. that God is ever around us. And yeah, no, it's um, I find uh, like I said when my dad passed, that then the I thought immediately about my own relationship with my own kids, and I've often said like if uh, when I got married. I learned that, uh, you know, my uh, wife showed me my sin. Like, she reflected, she showed me, here's where you're falling short. And when you, but you, but you like, sort of believe it, but it's just one person, right? <laughs> then you reproduce. And you're like, no, I've, I've got a, a pretty good, uh, you know, body of work here. Yeah. That one could say, yeah, yeah, turns out. 
turns out you've fallen you've fallen short right you know and i think uh so much of our life as is humans probably but also as, as parents is filled with guilt what did we we didn't do this right i mean you've talked about you know being on the road when your daughter yeah. was born and you learned i love that story and you shared how how your dad was not there when you were born yeah Which, yeah he was at a picnic. That seems weird. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I mean, you turn with yeah. me, but that makes a little more sense. So you got a little more room yeah. to, to land that one. But yeah. uh, but Master, like the, son, right, dad. He, uh, <laughs> he, filled, he checked, checked all the boxes. Right. But uh, how have you both of you dealt with that with your own ministries? And you both are heart charging people, right? I mean, Ron, you've raised a billion dollars, or no, over a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. You know, but I mean, uh, I know I'm. This is like a counseling session for for Ryan's a perfect dad, so I mean he has, he has no idea. So uh, you know, I have teenagers, so uh, yeah. What would you say? You you. So are... what's the question? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah. So how, I mean, I guess in, in the role of music or well yeah. in uh, ministry, yeah. this this idea that I, I think you know, people say the past few years have been have been really tough, you know. And I think tough for so many different reasons. Most of our coping mechanisms we use are gone, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. so you know, people are just are just raw, you know. And uh, my wife and I love this show called This Is Us. It just yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and it's about family relationships. But if you look at it just super superficially, it's basically like here's because they go through the span of like 30, mm-hmm. 40 years, and you yeah. basically say, Here's what the parents did and here's why the kids are screwed up. <laughs> right? Because every storyline is like it goes back to right. what happened yeah, at, at right. that point. Now, they end up in a pretty redemptive arc. In a, in a forgiveness sense of it, but you know, all these characters had to basically come to grips with mm-hmm. the fact that their parents did things that screwed them up yeah. and things that supported them, yeah. right? right? And I think that, as you said, at first you kind of think everything's going to be great, and you realize there's, there's this broken aspect mm-hmm. to it. And, and what we do with that brokenness, it seems like that, that that's like mm-hmm. that's what we that's I mean that I, I think you Actually, said like yeah, that's the next. 20 years of my life yeah. is trying to make sense of that, right? Well, you know, one of the things that I've done, and we have three kids, you know, Nate and Noah and Hannah, and so at one time I gave a couple of them subscriptions to The New Yorker, mm-hmm. and I figured if there was nothing else that we could talk about, we could talk about the cartoon on page 32, <laughs> you know, so so I think that, you know, to have the say, to have a common... Yeah. Language or yeah. Hannah and I once had a book club. I was the president and treasurer, and she was the vice president and secretary. There were only two people <laughs> in the book club, and and what it meant was I had to buy the books and pay for them, <laughs> and she decided what coffee shop we were going right. to go to. You know, but but I mean, you know, if you can, it's really pretty amazing to read a, a book with your child. And, you know, you think you know what's going on, but, you know, but to take that time out, and I guess with your question kind of was um, coming out of the thing of, like, for busy people, you know, and I think we're all extremely busy, so you do, I think, at times have to be very, very intentional or, or uh, end the schedule time. Mm-hmm. And then I, I know one of my sins has been is that even though I was <clears throat> physically present, I wasn't always emotionally present. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And And, you know, so that's... That's that, you know, right. um, to to commit to that. And right. um, Thich Han says that, that Noah reminds me that, you know, to say I love you really means I will be present with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, if, it's right, we see all these people, you know, in restaurants 
I see couples on a date and they're both on their phones, I mm -hmm. guess, trying to arrange another date with somebody who's more interested. <laughs> uh, that's basically what that means. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm just like, well, they're not even there. Right. You know, so, and, and then one of songs, one of Peter's songs, you know, uh, I Heard the Wind, that, you know, the refrain is Emmanuel, so God with us. Mm -hmm. And God is always promising to be present with us. And mm -hmm. In communion, there is the real presence there, even though at times we feel like we've had real absence, perhaps, in our life right. uh, yeah. as well. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, to me, it, it was partly just to be honest with our kids, you know, because yeah. I was gone a lot when, when my kids were little on the road. And I asked them one time, when we were in the car going, we always did Einstein's bagel, or we'd sneak out and go to Starbucks while Mom was working hard at home. Uh, but I said, guys, tell me how hard it is when I'm gone. One through ten, you could say ten if it's, you just can't stand it anymore. And he said, well, it's about a three. And I was like, what? It well, should know, be higher, guys. Yeah, expected. Come on, six, seven, <laughs> give me some dad love, you know. But they were finding ways to cope. And one of the things my kids wanted so bad uh, of me was for me not to require them to parent me. In other words, I think we expect our kids to parent us. At least, maybe I grew up with a, with a, you know, my dad somehow got like a wounded puppy walking away like I'm worth nothing. Mm. And I think I adopted some of that, and they wanted me to be strong enough to say you still belong here. And that was kind of our family rule. Um, the other thing is just to, to involve them, open them up, and be silent and listen to them without teaching them again. You know, Patricia has been so good for me with that. Trust that this Christ, this God, this Jesus that we believe and talk about so much is actually present and taking care of all this in spirit. Yeah, enough to let your child tell you who Jesus is. You know what I mean? It's hmm. kind of like, and that was radical for me. You know, we had a big arguments about going to church young because uh, the kids got to be high schoolers, and and we had that big conversation where it's like it's time now to trust that in here somewhere. Uh, there's more than just me failing as a father if they won't go to church every Sunday. It's something bigger about that. So I think a, a lot of families deal with that. Hmm. So. Should be a theologian. That was he is good. one. He is. I'm not joking. He is one. Yes. I tried to become a minister, and Ron threw me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that. You know what? That's the. Uh, Johnny Cash story, right? Who was it? Who did he ask that? Someone, he, he said, I was I think maybe, was it Billy Graham maybe even? Probably, like that? Probably. And he said, yeah, you know, be, I really want to be a pastor. And he's like, what? You know, you are, our God has called you to this yeah. right mm -hmm. here, yeah. you know? And God has called you, Peter, to where you're at, you know? Mm -hmm. um, all right, we're wrapping up here. I have a few random questions. So what's it like, you get these stories all the, all the time, right? What's it like being... A Christian in the Jimmy Buffett world. Now, that's that's kind of making the assumption that, like it's just a hedonistic, you know, Bernie <laughs> manifesto the entire time. Yeah. Jimmy's older than you are, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm sure he's playing golf, and it's not the craziness that that right no, was no, when he first yeah. started. But yeah. and it's not a all totally hedonistic world. Uh, I mean, I love his his music and his lyrics are quite are quite deep. So, not making that just you're a rock star and mm -hmm. you travel around the world what's what's it like well first of all he's an incredible man he's right. he's incredibly curious and um as i believe all of you guys are you you really you ask the questions of life he, he is determined to be doing something all the time mm. he hates to 
enter any room, or and I'm talking metaphorically, that is slightly depressed or down or kind of self, like navel-gazing kind of mm -hmm. thing, he is always focused, like, what can we learn today, mm -hmm. you know? I, I went through a major illness at one point, and I told him, kind of jokingly, well, I, um, I, I took, took guitar when I was in infusion in the cancer ward, you know, and, and he goes, oh, man, you should, you should learn Spanish. Like, just take a Spanish book with you. And he's always looking to, to, to do that. <laughs> now, would I write some of those songs? Would I, do, uh, would I follow some of those paths that he has taken? No. Um, but I have never been proselytizing uh, patient number one. I have been always more like you, your witness is the way you live, the way you love people. And I have seen Grace Alive and Jimmy in the band that attends him and is around him. It's amazing. Uh, you know, Pete Mac McAnally refusing to re receive payment for playing on one of the, the songs of faith I put out. And I was just like, come on, Mac. He goes, no, no, I'm, I'm supporting you here. You know, hmm. amazing acts of love. And um, I, I, I just hope I can take on some of that and share. Mm -hmm. So uh, I feel very fortunate to be, be with that group of people. It's hmm. awesome. <clears throat> All right, we always end our podcasts. Um, we've not come up with a better question, so we do the same one we last year. It was your job this week to come up with a better ending. Was it? It was. Oh, I okay. I'll work on that. Yeah, seriously. You should do something. Here. <laughs> All right. But uh, we always, you know, is there a resource, uh, something that uh, media, a book, a song, it should be a song here, um, but uh, that you would recommend to our our, our listeners. Obviously, your work, they can find that at where? Yeah, you can go to petermayer.com. That's M-A-Y-E-R, P-E-T-E-R, M-A-Y-E-R.com, okay. and uh, you can get anything there if you're interested. Uh, I, I, you know, Ron and I are always passing books back and forth, mm -hmm. and um, I've uh, really appreciated one lately uh, called Freeing Jesus by Diana Butler Bass. Oh, yeah. Um, all about the different names uh, that we give Jesus and Christ, and, and uh, it was real eye-opening for me. Well, I'm since I'm retired now, um, I'm a yeastologist. Yeah, and right. I I read that there really aren't any qualifications or certifications that you need to be a yeastologist. <laughs> so I don't know if there is anyone else is a yeastologist, but I am I am one. So as a yeastologist, with I read a lot of cookbooks and do a lot of. Uh, Zooms with bakeries and mm. different, you know, culinary shops around the world. Right. But a book that I found really good is called Bread Therapy, and it's written by a therapist <laughs> nice. in the United Kingdom. And um, although it is not a Christian book per se, it it talks about you know just kind of the power of of being companions and baking bread for mm. each other. The other standby bread book is uh, Baking Bread by Father Dominic Garamoni. Mm -hmm bread baking as a metaphor for the spiritual life and it is in that book where he says um, a couple of things that are really really good bread is very forgiving and also that bread baking is a lot better than aromatherapy because you should not eat your candle <laughs> so I would recommend those you know uh, to, to check those out and I guess what inspires me is that Jesus is the bread of life mm -hmm. And so when I see people talking about bread baking or fellow yeastologists talking about that kind of stuff, <laughs> that they're so passionate. And, you know, Jesus calls us to be passionate about sharing that news. And so it 
it has to be mm-hmm. baked in, right? It needs to be baked in. It can't be a half-baked type of thing. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's really, really important. So I would recommend Father yes. Dom's book or this other book, Bread Therapy. That's awesome. And Chip, I want to, and to you, Ryan, as well, as though I just met you, but um, I was really impressed with, with how things are run this week at camp and all the work you do here. Uh, I know Ron and I both uh, want to send you a huge thank you for yes. uh, You've really given a big portion, a huge portion of your life to this, and your family has as well. So we well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here this week as well. Why don't you take us out on a song? Um, I'm gonna let Ron pick because he's been doing it all week for you. So come on, just just roll a dex it here, Ron. Yeah. What's the, what's the best song to go out at a campfire with Peter Mayer? Whoa, well, how about um, "Good to Have a Friend"? Okay. I'm a lonesome chord looking for a song. Still not sure I know where I belong. You're a quiet word looking for a rhyme Feel as though you're running out of time And they say joy will be Just around the <laughs> Same as the first one. Yeah. Uh, you're a quiet whisper, dancing in the breeze. I'm a hurricane, tumbling toward the keys. You're a silent friend, searching for a voice. I sing because I have no other choice. Happiness, and they sing. Just around the bend I told you before that I, I feel like Ron's so good at calling songs and sometimes I'm not ready <laughs> so I feel like a Subaru crash test dummy you know, <laughs> no it's been a thrill it's, uh, I love working with this guy what a pleasure awesome. thank you guys thanks thank you for joining us for this episode of Campfire Conversations Make sure to subscribe to hear future episodes. Visit camp-arcadia.com for more information 
or find us on Facebook. We'll see you back at the campfire.